and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor and a comedian. And when I was 12 years old, I used to talk to obscene phone callers. <laughs> what? You always throw me with your intro. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm basic. I'm a multicultural counselor and a psychotherapist, and I've got to deal with Alec. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I just kind of need to break the ice at the top of the show. I love this, it. This is the Hot Mess Podcast where That's we right. saw solve all of the world's problems one hot mess at a time that's right starting with me Um, but i I really used to do that because today's um topic is imposter syndrome today's topic is imposter syndrome yes what is imposter syndrome alec well when i was 12 i used to (laughs) i used to um had a very high voice my voice hasn't changed yet and one time uh an obscene phone caller back when we used to get obscene phone calls i don't know if that's still a thing anymore Uh um and i talked to him for 20 minutes what? And yeah, about really explicitly sexual things. And I was just so fascinated by Hold it. Hold on a minute. Okay. Yeah. This is, uh, this is, and I, pretended, with me. I pretended to be a lady. Okay. What, pretended. Okay. Yeah, and so, yeah. um, <laughs> you got obscene. What does that mean? You just got random anonymous obscene calls uh, where people yes, would talk to yes, you sexually? Yes. No, I put my phone number in a bathroom stall. What do you think? No, uh, uh, there, no, this was back <laughs> in the day where somebody would, it was a thing that before phone sex, before sex right? hotlines, okay. you would randomly call somebody on the phone and say, what are you wearing? Uh, I'm about to, uh, you know. I don't ever remember getting these phone calls growing oh, up. Oh my God, where'd you grow up? Oh, you were in New Jersey. I I'm was surprised. in New Jersey. I needed there to must, be somewhere There must have been people though. who wanted to get off on the phone in New Jersey. Uh, well, and I, I really would, missed out. I would say, hi. Yeah. <sighs> And I would just, and he kept on calling back and it was on my sister's line. And finally my sister got him on the phone one day and said, stop calling here. I'm calling the cops. And that's when your love life ended. Yeah. That's when my love life. But okay. Was, how was, is that yeah. imposter syndrome? I well, don't that, know. That, that's just a form of being that's imposter. just a, that's just a fun, funny story. Syndrome, okay. Matthew, yes, please. not to imposter explain to you. Please do that. Um, is kind of, um, it's what we it's a it's a it's a fear of being found out that mm. your place in the world, whether it's professionally or socially, is fraudulent. Yes, I think that's actually a perfect way of defining as that. That's great. I would okay. So to just kind of give it context to uh, and and also an example, something uh-huh. for me where I one example where I really struggled with imposter syndrome was I remember when I had. You know, I went to school for psychotherapy. I, you know, in, uh, I interned and I worked at agencies, uh-huh. nonprofit organizations, all that stuff. And then eventually, I got to a place where I launched my own private practice. And so when I did, I remember for probably the good first few months, clients coming in. I would get clients, and they'd come in, and they'd be sitting across from me, and I had like a sliding scale. I think I charged like you know fifty bucks, seventy five bucks, whatever a session. And I just remember sitting across them, being like, "It's only a matter of time until they realize I'm full of shit." Uh-huh. I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then it's going to be done. And that was the fear. It was, of course, I was entirely trained. I've already had my experience. Of course, I was in a place where I should be launching a private practice and running my business. But I had such this crazy fear that who was I to do that? Of course, I was oh. real and people would find me out and that would be the end of it all. Well, don't you think it takes a certain amount of audacity to kind of hang out a shingle and go, this is me. This is what I do. Yeah. Like, I hate being called a stand-up comic. Like, Why? Like, oh, because like, you know, I'll go on a cruise. Like Nico and I, Nico, our guest today is Nico Santos. Yes. Our friend from Superstore, who's absolutely fabulous and amazing. Yes. Um, we met on a cruise. We were both doing stand-up. And I think that when somebody goes, oh, you're the comedian that put so much pressure on me and, and stand-up comedy is an animal where you can have a million great shows and have one stinker. 
right. you know, where you're, yeah. I just call it, it's like going over like a turd in the punch bowl where it's just like, <laughs> for whatever reason, the audience is tired. You aren't connecting with them. Right. Blue, blue, blue. <laughs> so a, a imposter syndrome is as far as I go, it's, it's an anticipatory fear. Like this is the, this is the show. This could be the show where I bomb. Oh, this could and then be that the feels show. like you're not a real comedian if you're, if this, you're bombing. Yeah, this could be the show where people kind of, um, where their reaction matches my own anxieties. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, listen, I get that. And I suppose a mental health professional might suggest to you yeah. that you can still, that's all encompassing. You can still identify and maybe even should identify as a comedian, even when things aren't going great, that that really? still is... Yeah, that's an identity. That's not all of who you are, but it's right. still an identity. You're a comedian even when the shows are shit. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, that's, because that's my, ther- be, yeah, my therapy sessions are not... <laughs> exactly. My therapy <laughs> sessions aren't always perfect. Sometimes my clients get baseline depending on what's going on in my day. I'm still a therapist. and I I'm think a comedian whether part. you laugh or not. Exactly. But that's the important part is to recognize that we don't have to be perfect or hit it out of the park every time in order to to uh, be able to claim whatever mm-hmm. that title is or that identity is. And that's the mm. important part. And I think it's interesting because I think it's actually, especially it, this is a thing for absolutely everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think especially for queer people and the gay gaze. men. Yeah. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I work almost exclusively with gay men at this point, And this comes huh. up all the time. And especially for us as gay people, because we grew up having to wear a mask, we kind of had to hide true parts of ourselves. So we're very familiar with doing that. And also if we're to expose any part of that, it feels like people are going to think that it's not enough, that something's lacking. And then that's oh. where our shit starts to spin. That's a whole show. It, it is mean, a whole show. I mean, this is our show. We're oh, talking no, about that's the process. show we're doing right now. Um, <laughs> No, because I think I think that um, uh, the problem with with the gays or the queers, have you had it? Anybody who's had to deal with any kind of duality is we do become preoccupied with the external. Yes. And and that and when it doesn't line up with who we are internally, when it becomes about my hair or my body or my clothes or the car, then it and, and it doesn't line up. That's when the I think I feel like that's when the anxiety ramps up it's kind of like is is my inside matching up with my outside or vice versa well but especially if there's a lot of attention and energy placed on the external stuff that's a safe place for us to live to try Mm. to have an identity right and that's also when we get kind of fucked up too because that's not what makes us who we are that's not what is part of our value no, it is not. <laughs> and so, but so when we get to a place where we start actually doing more of the difficult kind of emotional heavy lifting and the challenging work of opening our hearts uh-huh. and of, you know, showcasing who we actually are, that's when our shit gets stirred up. That's when we start to feel like that this isn't enough. So for you, comedy and being able to express yourself creatively for right. therapy and getting to express that kind of emotional part of myself, you know, when we have it, of course, there's going to be moments when we're going to think, this isn't enough. People aren't going to care about this. Right, you right, know? Um, right. Or, yeah, so that's that's the imposter syndrome part of it. I always call it out, though. Like, I'll be at a party and I'll show up and I'll grab a glass of wine and go, hi, I don't know anybody. And I feel yeah. uncomfortable. Great. Perfect. <laughs> I love that. What a great yeah. strategy. Call yeah, it out. Yeah. I was, uh, 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 do you know um, Guy Shalem? I don't think so. 
Okay, so he has this fancy dinner party up in the hills, uh-huh. and um, it's all uh, uh, professionals in the business, Oscar-winning oh, okay. screenplay people, people in the tech industry, blah, 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 blah. We yeah. all pay a certain amount of money for this beautiful catered dinner where we just meet other people. It's like an artist salon, but of like <laughs> professionals, and it's called the Dinner of the Masters. And I was invited to one, and it was up in the hills at Garth and Sierra's house, who is this huge producer, Mm-hmm. Um, television producer. He was like the producer of the Ricky Lake show for years and years and years. He has all this content on the air. And I showed up and um, everybody's super wealthy. And I had a bit of that coming in. And so what I did was I did grab a glass of wine and said, and I went up to a group of people. I said, I don't know anybody. I'm uncomfortable. I don't like leaving the house. <laughs> <laughs> and how did people respond to and it? And I said, I'm not a big fan of people <laughs> and, and, and meeting strangers. This is out of my comfort zone. I said it. Yeah. And they all like, they were like, oh. Thank yes. God. And they were, uh, because, yes. because their shoulders were up around their ears and yeah. they were like, I don't like this. And then totally. the minute I said that, I hate this. It, it put everybody else at ease. Oh my God. Yeah. You were so real about it. Speak truth yeah. to power. So yeah. real about it. People can actually step in that same space too. I love it. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morf. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Well, speaking of real, I'm yes, so please. excited about our guest today. I am too. Um, he's just, I, we met, I, I, you know, years and years ago, uh, working together. And usually in those, in those circumstances, when you meet people at work and you become friendly that way, you don't really stay friends, but we have. Yeah. And he's just really taken off the past couple of years. All right. Well, like Alex said, everybody, today's guest is an incredibly gifted actor who has done it all. Theater, TV, film, and of course, stand-up comedy. We are so excited to welcome him. He's co-starred in the film Crazy Rich Asians. It's fabulous. And that Paul Blart Ball Cop 2, an instant classic, and is one of the stars of NBC's hit comedy Superstore, alongside my pal America Ferrara. He has appeared in all 98 episodes and will return to the sixth season as soon as we can get back inside a studio. Please welcome my friend Nico Santos. Yay! Hello. Oh, wow. Here he comes. <laughs> Nico, I miss you. I know, it's been I so know. long. Usually, uh, Nico and I have done the thing of like, okay, we both have busy lives, but we made it a point to like at least have dinner together every six weeks mm-hmm. where we would check in each other. We'd either meet at a restaurant or um, I'd cook or dinner and house. you'd come over at our house. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we haven't been able to touch base at all. And it's so good to see you. I think the last time I saw you was, was it your anniversary dinner or birthday dinner? I don't know. Oh, my birthday dinner. Was that last year? I Good think that was the last Lord. time I saw you in person. You had, oh, my you had a huge God. dinner. And- yeah. Oh, did you have a huge dinner? Uh, last year. Last year when we could oh, okay. have huge okay. dinners yeah. and, and things <laughs> of that ilk. So today's uh, a fun topic is imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> How did we arrive at this subject? Was it because of you? It was your pre-interview. Well, it was Nico's suggestion. Yeah. Okay. I, listen. I mean, my publicist 
uh, emailed me and was they were like, hey, I think they want to talk about um, grief. And I was like, I'm not sure I'm ready to unpack all that. Yeah, that's um, fine. And I am enough of a hot mess that we can yeah. talk about yeah. a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I suggested, you know, imposter syndrome is one of them, body dysmorphia. I'm like, self-esteem, <laughs> what else you want to talk about? We can talk, we can talk about it all. And the, yeah. but, you know, imposter syndrome, I actually love that. And when I heard that that was something you want to talk about, I wanted to kind of jump on it because this comes up in my own practice with my clients. This comes up all the time. It also comes up with a lot of my friends. So I just think that it's, uh, I think it's a universal one. What's Look your- at how excited he is about this. He's foaming at the mouth. It's yes. just, you know, it's one of those terms that you just hear all the time. Yeah. Um, and I never really knew what it was. I think the first time I heard, I heard a term, I was, I was still, um, living in Oregon, I was working as a dresser for a theater company mm-hmm. and one of the actors um, I heard him talking to another actor uh, backstage, and he was sort of saying, I, "You know, I'm I'm so afraid that that everybody in this company is just going to find out that I'm a hack." Mm-hmm. And you know, and as somebody who at the time who was a dresser who was trying and striving to to be where he was, mm-hmm. um, I was like, "What are you talking about? You're acting in this, you know, Tony Award winning, you know." theater company and uh-huh. you're a hack i mean in my head i was like this is crazy yeah and it wasn't until years later that i finally had a little bit a little taste of success that i was like i fully understand what yeah that man was saying i feel it every day it's something i struggle with very much i mean yeah. to, to what just happened what was six, what was yeah what was the incident that yeah. like brought up like ooh. all of it no, <laughs> i don't pick now, one Pick one in particular. Yeah, yeah. What's one that stands out in your memory is the, one of the first times that you realize, like, oh shit, that's what he was talking about. Um, I think when we filmed uh, the the pilot uh, of Superstore, mm-hmm. there was one instance in particular where the EP um, said to me, and not in a in a in a malicious way or in a, you know, he was casually just saying, oh yeah, like, were you nervous when you filmed that scene? I could tell you were a little nervous. It was like <gasps> coming from a genuine place of concern, not like a, yeah. you were nervous, you know, yeah, oh, you were yeah. nervous. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh girl, were you nervous? Cause <laughs> well, I was watching in the monitor and whoo. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, uh, holy shit. Like, um, he can see right through me. Um, I am going to get fired. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, the, the feeling of 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 me worrying that I'm going to get fired from Superstore, I will say it still comes up, mm. um, but it only subsided season four. Yeah, really. Season four, up until season three, I'm still like, they're you know like these people are just going to find out that I'm just not as funny, I'm not as talented. Yeah, you know I don't have I don't have the training as a as an actor. You know my 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 training quote unquote comes from doing stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. um so i have you know like at this point 14 15 years of doing stand-up under my belt yeah i'm not i i never went to ucb i I took like one ucb class once okay i'm gonna stop you for a second i'm gonna stop you for a second because what people don't know is like there's so many comedians who become actors and people are like oh my god they were such a good actor and you're certainly a terrific actor on your Mm -hmm. show and i've told you that before doing stand-up you learn everything doing stand up the hard way. You learn how to listen. 
You learn, I mean, that is the most important thing. You, you learn how to react. You learn how to react in the moment. You learn how to read the room. You learn how to, there's so many things that this, there's that skill set completely transfers over into being a good actor, I believe, which is why so many comedians make good actors. Because we have the we have the on-the-ground training. I mean, also, I'd like to see Meryl Streep do 10 minutes at the Laugh Factory. <laughs> right. You know you what know, I mean? Every, every professional, like, you know, dramatic actor or, like, uh, you know, big-time theater actor that I've talked to has always told me when I mentioned, like, you know, what my background was, and I was like, you know, like, my background really comes from stand-up, and they're just like, I could never do what you do. Wow. Like, that is so hard. And to me, it's still like, well, like, making people laugh is, is the only thing that has come easy and natural for me. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I'm just like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, it's not that hard. I mean, you have to work at it. Of course, there's like skill and, and work involved in it. Mm -hmm. But it's something that came naturally to me. So I'm always just like, well, I can't, I can never do what you do. So what am I yeah. doing here? Yeah, right. but as but a so gay film, yeah, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, but that's like the tendency, right, is to minimize it, that if it's something that you're doing, if it's something that comes naturally to you or if it's skill that you have, then that couldn't possibly be enough, right? Like that's that's the irrational thinking, like where that stuff comes from. So like for you, okay, let's just say, because, you know, like you said, it took you four seasons before some of that started to go away, that doubting yourself. What what do you imagine is almost like the magic wand that you would have to wave where you'd feel 100% comfortable or confident doing what you're Ooh, doing? Ooh, that's a good that, question. And know that you belong. What has to happen? I mean, so many things. I mean, I, do you I don't have know. to win an award? Does the you know executive well, producer have to tell you that you're enough? Like, what has to happen? I don't know if there's one particular thing. But the, the thing is, is like, you know, some of that has happened already. And, and I, I guess I thought, you know, back when I was still starting out in stand-up, mm -hmm. that all I needed was to get the show. And then I mm -hmm. wouldn't feel this way anymore. But then I got uh -huh. the show. Yep. And yeah. I still feel this way. Yes. And then all I needed to do once I got the show was, you know, like big uh, book a big project. Crazy Rich Asians happened. Yes. Oh, then, then I wouldn't feel this way. But Crazy Rich Asians happened. And I still feel this way. Yeah. And then the next thing I would have to do is like, well, you know, Crazy Rich Asians was like a big comedy and a big movie. But like, you know, like, it's not like theater where it's like, you know, like, lauded by, you know, like intellectuals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. right? I did an, an off-Broadway play last year. With and I still, and it still, I still felt that way. Yeah. You know, totally. I, I, like, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it, you know, I, I was nominated two years in a row for a Critics' Choice Award. Uh -huh. And I still feel like a fucking friend. Totally, yeah. That's so, and that, I, that's why I love this topic is because everybody can relate to this. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're at in life. I everybody can't. can relate. <laughs> Everyone, with the exception of Alec, who's wonderful. Like, everybody can relate to it because it's just that idea that if I just got this one thing, that kind of brass ring, right? Like, and you keep just reaching for it. And what did I say? It's it. the external circumstance. It's you're the ex trying to, exactly. you're trying to validate yourself through external circumstances. Exactly. And that never, never works. Everything in the work. world is the Wizard of Oz. We all, you know, everybody's a, 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 a scarecrow wanting a brain or a medal or something to signify some <laughs> external thing That's that true. will say, now you're brave or now you're have a heart. It, it, and it's, it's, it's never going to come from the outside. It doesn't matter what you get. Exactly. Yeah. It's so perfectly put in. And at some point it has to be the thing where we can realize, wow, okay, this is the pattern. So what can I start doing differently? Has that been for you, Nico, kind of like a place that you've been starting to consider that part or are we still grasping? 
Where, I mean, I'm, it ebbs and flows. I mean, there are days where, where I feel, where I, I don't feel as like those things are constantly swirling in my head. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there, there are days where I feel a little bit more secure, you know? I mean, certainly, you know, I've been in therapy for the past two years off and on, but like, well done. We're all about therapy. Especially, especially since the pandemic began, I've been in more regular therapy. So that's helped a lot. Being in a very loving relationship has really helped a lot. And Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, have to credit my, my amazing partner Zeke to sort of just like, you know, being the voice of reason for, for a lot of the time and, and sort of like telling me and, and, and reassuring me and, you know, that, uh, that I'm crazy, <laughs> that, that yeah. I shouldn't be feeling well, these Well, you know things. what? I think there's a certain, um, Matthew doesn't like that word. Crazy. Oh, come he on. He doesn't, he doesn't appreciate that word. Um, I just won't say it. Yeah, he just won't <laughs> say it. He, but he thinks you're crazy, but he won't say it. Uh, no, I mean, here's the thing. You're in a very, uh, you're in a very unique circumstance because I have been a series regular on a big network show and it's a very big machine. And there is, there is, and with the volume of work, when I read that you'd done 98 episodes, I was like, holy crap. I remember that, that when I was on a show, that there is a certain amount of pressure on you each week to kind of deliver the goods. And you're not doing a three camera comedy in front of an audience. Like we would get the reaction, like for the run throughs. And sometimes it wouldn't go well. And I would think, oh no, they're going to blame it on us. Are they going to blame it on me? Cause I didn't sell that joke. And then one time Telma Hopkins, who was one of the actors on the show said, she leaned out me after a, a producer's run through bombed. And she said, it's ain't our fault. It's the writers. They know we're funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think it's about balance. I think yeah. it's kind of recognizing that you do have a very unique job. Uh, there is pressure on you, but you can't let that uh, imposter syndrome or that fear get the best of you. And you have a really great group at work. And you're we like have an best, amazing yeah. group. But you know, yeah. it's it's funny. Like I, the only time I'm sort of free of those feelings is when I'm doing stand up, mm. because you're in it control. Is, you are in control. Um, it doesn't matter how how you get from point A to point B. All you have to do is make the audience laugh, and it's with material that you have created. Yeah. And and you know, like laughter is a response that um, cannot be faked. Yeah, you know what yes. I mean. It is you know when somebody's fake laughing. Yeah, or when it's a pity laugh. Yeah. You're getting you know, real like time when, validation and and, 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 and the, the validation things. is instant. Not like yeah. with theater, where it's like you know people will sit through bad theater, but they won't sit through bad comedy. No, they won't. They won't. And Julia <laughs> Sweeney, yeah, Julia Sweeney said that when you do get a laugh on stage, which is why doing comedy is addictive, y- your brain releases positive chemicals. Yeah, you're, you're, you experience pleasure. Yeah, it's, a high. it's it's the closest thing. Like, I mean, like, I would compare it to doing cocaine. <laughs> yeah, like, that feeling you're just like no. it's just. That's you know. totally true, actually. Why are you looking like, at me Alec, when you what say you're saying? <laughs> I'm Alec, what you're saying else. is true. It just, it releases a lot of the same chemicals within mm-hmm. our brain mm-hmm. from that pleasure place, you know? And so it just makes us feel good. Yeah. So um, Matthew, you're saying that the solution is kind of like checking the facts. What do you think the uh, practical, applicable solution is in this, well, I actually in, have when this kind of anxiety I comes up? I do have a few ideas that I want to share, but I'm okay. curious, Alec, for you, because it sounds like that you've also obviously, you know, been able to kind of unpack some of this stuff and process it. 
for you, what do you do? What do you do that okay. helps you um, internally feel? You all right. Know, kind of so my imposter syndrome, uh, strangely enough, can happen in an environment where I'm exclusively in front of a lot of beautiful gay guys. Mm-hmm. Ah, and, yes. and kind of because then that becomes like, <laughs> oh, am I presenting myself like I'm one of them? And I'm not short enough. My tits aren't big enough. My arms, you know what I mean? It's like I'm, and, and uh, I'm certainly not butch and I'm very effeminate. And, and how do I, how do I, that, that anxiety going in about being judged. And then I have to purposefully tell myself that I'm judging my insides compared to their outsides. And that's something you do in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's still something. And I've worked through that with my therapist. And mm-hmm. I found that what I, when I talked about earlier about calling it out, mm-hmm. you know, like if I see somebody who's really, really good looking in a bar, I'll be like, holy shit, you're mm-hmm. gorgeous. Does that mean nobody takes you seriously? Mm-hmm. <laughs> does that mean, does that mean people just want to have sex with you and don't ever get to know you at all? And then they laugh and they disarm them. And then I'm high on Alec. It's like, I use my, my humor to, as a social lubricant, if you will, but, yes. I, but I have to, I have to call out my own discomfort and that yeah. helps me. Well, first um, of all, we love social lubricants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, second of all, <laughs> second, of all <laughs> second of all, I also love, I love that strategy, not just because it helps to kind of like diffuse a, a, a situation or or mm-hmm. anything like that and, and you know makes it more comfortable but also for you too actually saying this the thing is what the takes thing. the power away from how it feels like a reality mm-hmm. right as yeah. if you're any less than or as if you're not good enough for you know mm-hmm. and so in doing that then that's actually the messaging that you're reinforcing to yourself is i'm fine i'm putting this out there as a joke because i know it's not real Right. And I've worked with other actors. I did a movie uh, a couple summers ago with Ellen Burstyn, who won an Oscar and mm-hmm. Anne Margaret. It was all stars, 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 stars. And I was like, I had the feeling and Ellen Burstyn is like the actor's studio. She's all sense memory. She works from the inside out. And then I was I had to go. All right. And I had lunch with her beforehand and I mm-hmm. fangirled out at lunch. And then I talked about the part and then I talked about our scenes and I talked about, I gave voice to my fears and just walked it. She walked me through it. I walked her through, you know, what I was about and it just kind of demystified it because it's always worse in your head. Mm -hmm. It's always worse in your head. Yeah, totally. I, I get that. I mean, I, I think for me, like there's, there's been other stuff that's happened like with superstore, Mm. um, that I've talked to you about. Yes. That I've never really shared with, uh, with with anybody else, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, remember, like when I got cast and and I almost lost the part. Uh huh. Uh huh. So you that's know? traumatizing. Uh-huh. So that trauma, the trauma of of mm-hmm. losing the part of almost not being in Superstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can't believe I'm talking about this. <laughs> I've literally never talked about this like in public. Mm-hmm. Um, is was very traumatizing, and it's still you know for every time I would get an email or a phone call from the production office. It would be like my stomach would just drop, and oh. I, I felt like I would get the punch in the gut. And I was like, "This is the email. This is the call. Yeah, that I am. I am. I'm getting fired, um, or that I. Yeah, that 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 this is being taken away from me. Wow. And um, yeah, it's still like it's it's something that I I've, I haven't been able to 
get over. You know? Matthew, yeah. this is the thing to unpack. Well, I know. This is like, how do we? Lend me, Alec. Lend me. <laughs> you keep talking. Okay. I'm no, but you know what's so interesting is that imposter syndrome really comes up in times when things are in contrast to what we believe, right? So mm-hmm. if our if at our core, we truly have a foundation of belief that I don't deserve these things, I'm actually not enough, I'm not good enough, then when we're met with a lot of results that are to the contrary of that, mm-hmm. that's the mind fuck. Because it's like, oh shit, no, wait, okay, it's only a matter of time until I find out, that's when I'm gonna lose the part, that's the, all the stuff, right? And so interestingly enough, then when you know results start to play out in a way that mirror our negative belief about what we deserve, then it is, you know, it can be traumatizing, but there's also something that's familiar about it, right? And so actually, and it doesn't sound like that you're doing this and I love that, but for a lot of people, it almost becomes a kind of a subconscious um, self-fulfilling prophecy of let me get to a place where this does get taken away from me because that's more comfortable to me than having to, you know, confront my own bullshit inside myself. Yeah, it's happened. It's happened a couple of times. I mean, like it's, it happened as well when I was doing um, the off-Broadway play mm-hmm. where that one, I don't know, it, it is, I, you know, it, it's come up really a few times this this past couple of years. Uh, the first major one was that Superstore incident that I, I talked to you about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then after Crazy Rich Asians, um, I you know it was it was such a successful film that I didn't feel like I deserved to be a part of. I didn't feel like you know people were like, oh, what, you did a great job, and wow. I'm just like, oh, you know, like yeah. thanks, but like. Not really. Um, And then I was getting all these auditions and I was paralyzed by it. I mean, there was one particular one where it was an audition for a very big movie. And um, I was preparing for it and then I just got paralyzed and I couldn't prepare for it the way I really wanted to. Mm. And Zeke just sort of like had to hug me in the kitchen and just, you know, like hold me while I I sobbed for like... Uh. 30 minutes because I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. I get it. I get it. I can't do this. I get it because like what Matthew said is like the negative voices are almost like our default position. That's what's more comfortable. And when, when good things happen to somebody who doesn't have that, when it doesn't match up with our opinion of ourselves, it's scary. Yes. It's scary. It's scary to have your dreams come true. It's scary to to get success because it's like, yeah. But then, you know, and then when I did the play last year off Broadway, it was like, you know, it was such a big deal for me because I I went to theater school and I was told that I wasn't a good enough actor. Mm, I wasn't going to be an actor. So that's why I got into comedy. So when I got this offer to be in a play with Susan Sarandon, written by Jesse Eisenberg, it was such a coup for me that I was like, wow, Mm -hmm. this is great. I'm being asked to do this thing. And it was a part that I loved. It, you know, it, it was funny and the, pl- the play was great. Um, it was re- just really well written. And my fear was, you know, at the time, I was going through some health stuff with my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I am lost vision in my right eye three years ago. Oh, and wow. I ha- and I have some vision problems in, in, in my left eye. So it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm being treated for it. It's stable. Good. But it's, it's always something that, like... Um, that I'm just, that is always like, because of the traumatic experience of having to deal with that, yeah, I, it's always in the back of my head. So when I did the playoff Broadway, I was like, oh my God, what if, you know, like my eye, like- Goes out. Goes out again. And, uh, you know, 
fuck, I'm doing this, this play off Broadway. And uh-huh. how do you do that? First day of rehearsal, um, you know, we do the, we, we do the, the table read in front of the entire, the entire creative team. And there mm-hmm. are all these people there. The, the rehearsal goes off without a hitch and it's great. And then we break for lunch and then the, the director goes, okay, after lunch, we'll just, we'll just do a read, just, just the cast. I go to lunch. I start walking back. I was like, my vision is really hazy. Oh, no. I'm like, what is, what is happening? Okay, so I just try to calm myself down. And we do this the table read. And I'm just reading. I'm reading. It gets to my scene. And um, I still keep reading. And I'm, I finally, like, push, push the script aside and pull out uh-huh. my, iP- my iPad so that I could make the script larger oh, yeah, yeah yeah oh my yeah. god my heart's in my mouth this is terrifying so i'm just like trying to read read it and scroll it as big and it just gets to a point where i can't read anymore <gasps> and i had to grab jesse eisenberg who was the playwright and uh-huh. famous actor yeah uh, i grabbed his hand and I'm like i'm so sorry i'm having vision problems and i cannot read oh my god and he's and and I was like, this is this is my biggest fear. This is what's gonna happen. I wow. first day of rehearsal. Right. right. Off Broadway play, I'm I'm gonna get fired. Yeah. And Jesse was just like, It's okay, let me continue. And Jesse just reads and you know, I, I give credit and, and, and my heart uh, is uh, goes out to uh, the new group theater company and, and everybody in that team and everybody was so just understanding what I was going through. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, I didn't get fired. They were just like, whatever you need, we will help you. Like, uh, do I you have that. a, do you have a doctor, a, a specialist that you see here in New York? You know, do you have I, a seeing eye dog? Yeah. I <laughs> just, I just moved to New York to do the play. So I, I knew nobody. I had no mm-hmm. resources. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just had the friends that I knew, but I didn't have a, a, a medical support system that I usually have in LA. And um, they were just really, really great. Uh, Along the way, and it, you know, it, it got treated. My vision was—I was visually impaired all throughout rehearsals. Oh my gosh! Wow! And and then and then it subsided, and I was like, finally, I'm at a place where I can yes do mm-hmm. this. And then first week of previews, intermission, and and uh, in the mid, in the middle of my scene, uh-huh. my vision goes out. No. <gasps> what and do you mean then, when it goes out? Like completely, no. or so like I have I have um, diabetic. Uh, retinopathy yes and it's um and it's when it's basically basically the blood blood vessels of my eyes are unstable because when you have diabetes your eyes form new blood vessels to get blood to the eye Mm -hmm. and those new Mm -hmm. blood vessels are unstable and when they leak it creates cloudy vision Uh in your eye and it's your visual impact oh my god this is so terrifying so intermission i had to go to the stage manager and be like hey just fyi um i'm my vision's cloudy. I'm just a little visually impaired. And he, they're like, do you need us to stop? I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. So I did the rest of the play blind, essentially. Whoa. And then for the, for the, rest, for the rest of previews for, for two weeks, you know, I got treated for it. But once they treat you, you just have to wait for it to subside. Yeah. So for, for the rest of previews, um, up until opening night, basically, I did that play visually impaired. I was blind wow. when oh I did that. Oh my God. Well, Nico, you like overcome. That is a terrifying story. Like yeah, I, I, I'm sweating. Just <laughs> I am too. I am too. I'm, I'm like leaving like, it so close. Look at, look at my pants. That's horrible. 
Um, the, but you did it. You did and you it. Overcame it. And there's and and as I was listening to the story, and you're talking about imposter syndrome. I think being a stand-up comic, there are so many things that are uh, applicable in terms of imposter syndrome in what the anxieties you're talking about. I think yeah. one of our biggest um, fears of stand-up comics is bombing, and you have to bomb at some point. Yeah. And and the reason that you need to bomb is that you're so, you're not afraid of it because yeah. you bomb. And you could bomb big and then you survive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it, it, it can't scare you anymore. It's yeah. kind of like, well, I bombed and I continued to live and breathe and exhale yeah. and inhale. And you went through an extremely harrowing um, yep. uh, <laughs> circumstance and you triumph. Yes, exactly. And I think so, that's actually, this is because things can happen. We bomb or even medical issues come up and then we're handicapped. Things like that happen all the time. And what can happen for us to psychologically is that we over identify with those things, even when it's so rationally has nothing to do with who we are, or what we're capable of, right? It's mm-hmm. like you literally had a medical issue. How could you possibly be in control of that? But we can still over identify with these things as some sort of deficiency or inadequacy as, as though it's like a display, like there it is, I'm showing everybody what's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what can happen. So a big part of that is being able to help, you know, um, not only start to kind of like depersonalize that stuff and and take away some of that kind of over-identification, but be able to champion ourselves for what we did. It's like, Alec, I went up there and I gave a shit show. I bombed, but I fucking mm-hmm. went up there and I did it, right? Or right. I went and did all of these shows on stage and could barely- Blind, see, yeah. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. that, that is actually the demonstration of yeah. so much courage and strength. Not that mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. Yeah, but we're also Filipino, so we can't say nice things about ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're we're growing up going, um, even if you give 300%, your reaction from your parents is going to be, meh. You know, yeah. it's like, it, it's, it's we're always, we're never going to be enough. And I think the biggest thing we could do, uh, do a little Asian talk for a second, sidebar, the, mm-hmm. the, the riskiest thing we could do as Asians is just kind of give yourself the pat in the back and go, weren't you brave? Look who's a big, brave boy. You yes. did that. Affirmations, affirm, yeah. practice yeah. them, keep doing it. It only works thing, if you, you work know, it. I can all, I, I will always be able to rationalize in my head why that's yeah. not the case. Yeah, but well, also that's, that's, work. that's and how my brain works. Exactly, yeah. that's how your brain works because that's how it learned how to work as is the case for a lot of us who struggle with this imposter syndrome. But the good news is that what's learned can be unlearned, mm-hmm. right? You are not your thoughts. That's just mm-hmm. kind of a product of your experiences. And so, you know, I'm kind of like tongue in cheek saying, you know, practice affirmations, but I also wholeheartedly mean it. Being able to practice things like gratitude and affirmations, it sounds so cheesy, but sitting down and writing them down every day, giving you that opportunity of starting to kind of essentially redirect our, the neural pathways in our brains. Positive self talk. Exactly. Positive self talk, literally carving out new thinking for ourselves that's positive. And then that becomes the practice and that becomes the new thing. Yeah. And also, it's, you know, it's like, a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, just check the facts too. I mean, yeah. NBC is a big corporate machine. Nobody's, nobody's cast you on that show as a favor. Do you know right, what I mean? Right. They don't know. They don't know right. you anything. The Reality new group, testing, we call the it. new group, didn't have to cast you. They could. There's a million people yes. in New York who would have killed for that job. They picked you, yep. and you did it. So there, there's, there's, there's skill in there, and that's that's even hard to see sometimes. Yep. But you have to check the facts. Yeah, I mean, it's it is it is. Uh, you know, I, like I said before, it's just like there are days where where I'm just in a spiral and like the negative self self thoughts, like just, you know, just keep coming and, and there's, there's nothing I can do to to get out of it. And there are days where I sort of like look at my life and I can't believe 
you know, where I am full of gratitude. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and I can't believe how, you know, how I got here because it is crazy to think that, you know, like, I, you know, I moved to America when I was 16 from the Philippines and like, mm-hmm. you know, I moved to SF and LA, like so broken. And, and now yep. like, look at my life. Like, it's yeah. just like, I've, I've accomplished so much. And you're yeah. closing on a like, house. For, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, there's, it's, it's, there, it's like, for me, it's like, it's, they're just extremes. Either I'm at a place where I'm just like, I'm stupid, fat and ugly. And I don't deserve any of these things. And I'm so untalented mm-hmm. and it's all going to get taken away from me because mm-hmm. of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And, or I'm just like, look what I did. Yeah. It's a huge departure from where you've come from. So when that does happen, it's hard to actually stay in that space. But that's the case. We're never always going to be there. It's not like, oh, yeah, do some gratitude and affirmations. And then you've like, you know, you've done it and you're set for life now. It's a practice. And so even and especially when we're not feeling like for me, I don't fucking feel it all the time. A lot of times I'm just like, why the fuck are people paying me to come for therapy? I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. I know that's not real, but it still feels very much like it. And what I do is I make sure like I do a meditation app every morning, even though I'm just like not really here for it. I sit down and do gratitude and affirmations, even though I think I'm full of shit, but I still do it anyway, because that's the practice that in those days when we're really spinning, it doesn't help flip a switch. And then it's like, oh yeah, I feel good. It helps us manage it. So it doesn't feel too overwhelming and we can still move through our, through our days and our lives. Isn't he good? (laughs) Isn't he good? He's so good. Uh, but it's, I'm it's so glad shows. I have. I'm so glad I have therapy tomorrow. So that we can <laughs> yeah. All right, we we always, that, we always end the show with a hot message of the day. And here's my hot message to you right now. Um, years ago, I took my whole family on a European vacation, and uh, you know, Zion was six years old. We went to Paris, we went to London, we went everywhere, and. Um, I was in Paris and for whatever reason, I worried about money the entire time because Paris was so expensive. Mm-hmm. And I was, we were there for, this sounds like white lady problems, but um, I we, we, was there, we were there for four or five days, well, maybe four days. And I was worried the entire time to the point where I just didn't enjoy myself. And then when we got back and I was looking at pictures, my biggest regret was I was with my kid and my husband in Paris and I didn't have fun. I didn't have a, it should have been a carefree time. And right now you're having this island of success and it's lovely. Just take the time to kind of, like you said, look around, be grateful and enjoy it. And enjoy the view. Take a enjoy, little time. Take a little time to enjoy the view. <laughs> enjoy the view yes. from this eye. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, whichever one you can see from. And right. also, Nico, you're one of the funniest. Ta- you know, you're one of the funny. We laugh together till we're about to throw up. You're I mean, the funniest I always person. Enjoy you're so my time talented. You. You're so talented, and um, I will tell you that as many times as you need to hear it. But um, you deserve it. Yes, I'll, and, I'll say and, it out loud. And, and I'll chime it. in. I want to piggyback off that too, and I'll give my hot message of the mm-hmm. day too which is um, a really kind of simple, but I think profound thought, which is I am not my thoughts. I think that so much of us move through life way over identifying with the things that we think as if that is just really truly who we are. They're just our thoughts, which means we can shift them, we can change them, but it means we also have to put a little buffer in between us and it. Mm -hmm. And then we actually have an opportunity to rewrite those narratives. Now do I have to do a hot message? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Let's turn. Okay. Okay. Improv. Improv. Um, You know, know, if you had a friend who was going through something you were going through, what would your advice be? Well, actually, it's it's funny. Like I had a friend recently who tested for uh, a pilot and he didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, he was sort of like doing this whole uh, pity party about it. And, you know, I had to tell him, it's like, listen, like, 
I, you know, like I go through the same things you're feeling right now. And people who are more successful than me are going through the same things that we're both feeling. Like Mm -hmm. just because you reach, you know, you're, you're there wishing that you wish that you had my career. I'm here wishing, I wish I had their career. Like, you know, those feelings never go away just because of the success. It's always like, like I said, like, it's always going to be there. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, you can't get away from yourself. Yeah. And also the grass is always greener where you always. water it. <laughs> no, that, that did nothing for anybody. I love it. Okay. Thanks, Let's water the grass. Thanks, Nico, I miss you so much. Where can folks find you? you? First of all, thank you for doing the, thank the podcast you so much. today. I know how busy yeah. you are. Um, where, where can people find you on your socials? Uh, Instagram and Twitter at Nico Santos. Okay. And um, hopefully, you know, we are going to be starting uh, filming Superstore in September. Can't so wait. Is this yeah. season six? Season, season 10? Six. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's season amazing. Season six. Uh, and, uh, you know, look out for us in the fall. So, yeah. All right, Nico, I love you so much. I'll see you soon, okay? Thank you, Nico. Thanks, guys. Bye. Wow. That was a really harrowing podcast Matthew look at you you're still sweating I'm I mean just the whole thing about going blind during the thing I'm schmitzy too yeah yeah. so where can um uh, as we wrap up the show where can people find you on the socials Matthew people can find me at MJ Dempsey Psych on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Matthew J Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook you can find me at Alec Mappa on Facebook Instagram and Twitter (laughs) you can also find me and Matthew together at the hot mess pod on Twitter and Instagram uh, find us there. Uh, DM us. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and download the Hot Mess podcast. Mm-hmm. We know you have many choices when it comes to being entertained, and we're so grateful and happy you chose to spend your podcast time with us. We'll see yes. you next time at the Hot Mess podcast. Bye, Bye everybody.